0: He did show up three weeks later and we heard him on the phone talking to his boss or someone else. I don't know. But he's like, these guys are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're, They're doing things with machines that I've not seen mills that have been around for 40 years doing.
1: Welcome back to In The Works where we celebrate ingenuity, resilience, and craftsmanship through interviews with people behind Group Six, entrepreneurs, and other American-based businesses. Subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode, we're discussing socks, and I'm joined by Kevin, who is the design lead for our sock development team. Greetings. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings,
0: humans. (laughs) Uh, What people don't know is that Kevin's actually an alien. That's true <laughs> I've just come down here to to give you the gift of socks. now, the
1: first question I have is like what alien terminology is uh, ramlette
0: <laughs> there was ram rambunctious ram Ramboulet it's a, it's a French word. Um, we actually had a pretty serious debate as to whether or not that should be on the packaging, <laughs> uh, mostly because people can't spell it. And and fun fact, uh, people use the term merino all the time uh, for so- uh, wool that's been sourced here in the U.S. Right. But actually, it's like the lion's share of it's Rambouillet. So uh, Rambouillet is a breed of sheep. Um, if you and I were first cousins, you would be a Rambouillet and I'd be merino, or vice versa. <laughs> so they're really really close. Um, uh, there's a long-standing history of Rambouillet sheep. Uh, they actually were given back and forth to countries uh, as uh, like bartering for support during wars That's back awesome. in the old days yeah okay. so kind of fun fact there but they came uh, to utah specifically quite a long time ago so utah has a a long rich history with Rambouillet sheep uh down south in, in southern utah and, and the vast majority of our fine wool breeds here in utah are ramboulet. so Rambulé, uh differences in terms of merino have really long hair um, staple length is what we call it Um, It's usually three plus inches long. Rambouillet is a little bit shorter. It can still be three inches, but Rambouillet has a finer crimp, which means it's kind of zigzaggy. Okay. If you pulled the fiber out, it kind of has like an elasticity to it. Okay. um, Which can be a a benefit. It improves loft, um, it improves obviously natural elasticity, um, but also the animal is much bigger. Uh, The French crossbred the Rambouillet with a mountain sheep, so it's able to withstand you know, the rugged climate of Utah, you don't have to have it, you know, in some uh, green pasture somewhere in New Zealand, you know, it'll yeah. tolerate it. So they're also really good uh, for other than just to being a wool sheep, they, the meat is also good. So ranchers around here love them.
1: That's awesome. Yep. Now, look, I've you know I'm new to the company, and so I've seen some of the stuff that we, we you know we've worked on in the past, and I've always been like, as I was getting into the deep dive of some of the content that we've done in the past, uh, when we had an ad that showcased a little bit of the sheeps, and I just was like, this is awesome. So it's just sheep. It's oh. just those are just sheep. They're not even the real thing.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think the plural for sheep is sheeps. Yeah, you're right. Is it just sheep? <laughs> I Listen, I don't know. It's it's not a well, maybe it's a flock. It's not a murder of sheep. Listen, I know if you that.
1: are a sheep expert um, or a marine or a ramboulet uh, expert, please leave the comments below uh, yeah. on how to properly yeah. describe a flocking of sheep. Yeah. Uh, in any case, what uh, talk to me? What is the process from sheep to us?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, actually and for everyone that knows grip six well enough you know our we always try to find products that can be made here right um ironically growing up in utah you see sheep all the time they're crossing the road in some rural area you know whatever they're moving around but most people disconnect where you know that animal to a finished fiber that we might actually wear right so The general process is we have raised, whether it's Merino, Rambouillet, and and a half a dozen, if not more, there's probably more like two dozen other breeds of sheep that we have bred them specifically to grow wool. Mm -hmm. So they have to be shorn is the proper term. They have to be shorn once a year, at least, sometimes a little bit more than that, depending. Um, If not, there's actually some, you can Google it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Google like Shrek the sheep. It, oh. It's really fun, actually. Okay. There was, like, a, a Merino sheep that escaped his flock down in New Zealand somewhere, or maybe Australia. I don't remember. And it was, like, gone for maybe two or three or four years. <laughs> Eventually, the sheep will die. But they caught this guy. And I think there might be more than one. But anyway, uh, it's just like a walking cotton ball, you know. Okay. But the weight is substantial, you know. So... After a while, it'll just kill the animal. So anyway, that's not a good thing. But long story short, we've bred these animals to grow hair. Yeah. If we don't shear them, it's unhealthy. Yeah. Okay. So we shear it. Now, the other fun fact there is, for every pound of a wool from a sheep, because there's other breeds that this is not quite the same, about half of that weight is actually usable fiber. The other half is uh, it's desirable, but not it's gross. Okay. Uh, like. Grease, which uh, for all you uh, makeup wearers out there, um, lanolin um, is a huge industry. And actually, most of the people that process wool, um, lanolin's quite valuable. It, in some cases, it's more valuable than the wool. Okay, so I'm going to pause here for a second. Yeah. What is lanolin? It's just like an oil. That uh, comes from the wool? Yeah, it comes from the wool. Oh, okay. I think it probably helps with the um, to protect the sheep, not only... Uh, like waterproofness, but I think it, it does something either from an antimicrobial perspective or yep. maybe um, antibacterial. So like flies have a tendency to find their way into into wool hair or wool or into sheep wool, and so I think it helps with that a little bit too. But anyway, they wash that out. Then you've got in Utah, you know, we've got sage and dirt and dust. Right. You know, it's Wyoming sheep are filled with grit. You know, like it's it's pounds when you really think about it. So after all that's said and done, you have kind of like this effluent that comes off the washing plant and it's like pretty organic stuff dirt poop you know for lack of a better word and just hair like uh, not hair but like grass and things like that but then also the lanolin which gets uh they put it through a centrifuge and lanolin gets harvested right and then the rest of it goes off to be uh, the next stage into being wool it goes in our socks and not every product is like this but and i'm going to kind of I'm gonna nerd out here if that's okay. okay. I was about to yeah. look. Like,
1: look, everyone, uh, <laughs> two things are gonna happen right now. We're we're gonna nerd out. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this nerding out while uh, hopefully you do too. But at the end of this podcast, there will be a test on all the crazy new uh, terminology <laughs> that you can use on your daily basis. So uh, stay tuned, Kevin. Let's. I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm strapped in, bro. Okay. Let's
0: go. I mean, the last last. Some of you may have seen the commercial that I did and. That's just the tip of the iceberg i get accused a lot of being you know a full-blown wool nerd and i am um it's a it's a miraculous fiber Go
1: now ahead. did you did you become a wool nerd in the process of designing the sock or did you already have a passion for the animal and for the, what the product that comes from it
0: i'm not i'd probably be lying if i said i had a passion for the animal on any level i didn't know it right, right? but I've been a wool user. The oldest piece of clothing that I own is a wool sweater that I bought when I was 19. Right. And I, I, had, I was a backpacking instructor for eight years. I wore a lot of wool socks before they were good. But they were good, meaning like the elastic in those old socks were terrible. Yeah. Uh, but the material properties of wool back then were still really good. They were just kind of itchy. We didn't really understand. Well, we probably did. We just didn't have the weren't, machine. Yeah. We weren't manufacturing wool to the... Standards that we do today the elastics come, you know, but that that wool sweater. This is gross um, I don't think I've ever washed it <laughs> Like not once does it smell? No exactly. Yeah, right. It's why yeah, wool's like, great. It's, I'm just lazy and that, I think it's fantastic but like I got up my snowblower the other day and did some snow blowing I had it on it's a nice sweater, too but, You know after 20 years. It's just a sweater. Um, I think I got it from L.L. Bean <laughs> uh, anyway um, you know, snow blowers are gas, greasy, you know, they stink. You smell like a snowmobiler after using it. That's right. It. And I walked in, I took off, I had a my wool sweater, but I also had a, a nylon jacket over it, and my jacket still stinks. I put it on this oh. morning, I'm like, good grief. But I got into my closet the other day, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm finally going to have to wash this thing. It doesn't stink at all. So it's little stuff like that. I'm sure it's got bacteria in it, but yeah. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Make your judgments. You know, I'm pretty gross. Anyway, so, so yeah, I I had a huge passion for wool products, and still do. I have a lot of wool in my closet. That's cool. The properties are just really, really good. So, as far as nerding out on on the next step after um, the 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 wool has been, it's called a scouring plant. Okay. So scouring is what separates um, all the grease, poop, whatever. Um, Now that being said, it doesn't scour everything because like hair burrs things like that can be really stuck in there right so it'll take care of like the grit and the dirt and the grease but it can't get rid of other things so um, it goes on to the next step which is a um, super washing if your garment is go- eventually going to be able to be washed in a regular residential washing machine yeah. and this is the nerd part so if you looked at a wool fiber under a microscope it kind of looks like a rose bush um it's
1: like pr- like prongs, yeah. So these
0: little hooks everywhere, okay. you know. And and everyone knows, well, not everyone, but if you've ever given it a moment's thought, you'd you'd probably come to that realization. But if you take wool and just kind of rub it together, eventually it sticks together. Not unlike like dreadlocks, right? <laughs> Maybe human hair has the same things. I don't know. I i have not really. We have no intention of making socks <laughs> out of human hair, so. Anyway, um, that's called felted wool. So hats and a lot of wools, you know, like beaver, um, a lot of them will felt. So felted wool, we're trying to avoid that. Uh, Like old school wool garments, there's a lot of negative um, connections.
1: Like a lot of users and a lot of individuals, like I actually had an experience as a younger kid where my mom did get me a wool sweater and I absolutely despised it because it was so itchy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's. So first of all, well, we'll take a side tangent real quick because there's a lot of meat on this bone. So number one, you can again do your own homework. Wool allergies, and I am going. We're going to get comments for days on this one. <laughs> um, Wooler allergies is not a thing. Um, there are there are thousands of pages of. Uh, studies been that have been done by colleges and the wool is is essentially hypoallergenic
1: we'll leave some some uh links to yeah, it so I'll, I'll down happily,
0: below. if you want to pour through the data yeah. I've only done that recently because I you know people have asked me and I'm like I don't know and I'm a curious person so no pun intended I pull on that sweater thread and <laughs> I'm like wow it really isn't allergics so What they do um, uh, associate with allergies is just like you said they get poked and so that's a that's a function of just like the wrong wool for the wrong garment. Uh, yeah. You can have like next to skin, like a sweater, for example, like my wool sweater from LL Bean. I don't know what the micron count is, but I can guarantee you it's not as fine as what we use today. It's probably like a 24, 23. The, for a cutoff on feet, we don't go any lower or higher, excuse me, lower, no higher. Yeah, we don't go any higher than 23.5. Your feet are callous. They can handle a little bit rougher. Yeah. But if you wear it like on your chest where it's really sensitive, you want much finer uh, uh, microns. So anyway, my sweater, it could be, I don't know, 28, 29. And they're designed to wear over a long sleeve shirt or some other type of shirt. They're not really made to be worn against the skin. Yeah. So that, that's number one is just kind of knowing how to best use it right? Um, But nevertheless, the other negative connotation with wool, besides just, like, the itchiness, I'm allergic to it, you know. I'm not going to get any arguments with people. They can do their own homework. The other one is shrinkage. Yeah, yeah. Not the Seinfeld shrinkage. (laughs) Uh, I was in the pool! Uh, Shrinkage, everyone thinks, like, okay, pull out one wool, like, hair, just, like, out of my head or beard or whatever. And you put it in a washing machine, and people think you know hot whatever it's shrinking, and you you put in this XL sweater, and it comes out like a doll sweater. Yeah, that actually is not a function of shrinking the fiber itself. It's a function of felting. That's not superwash wool. Superwash wool is it goes through a process which is a pretty like when and I'm kind of sensitive to these things. Um, it goes through a very mild chemical bath, and there's like half a dozen different ways you can do it. There's some that are very green and some are very friendly, you know. Then there's others that like the most aggressive chemical is basically chlorine, which, yeah. you know, we all, most of us use in our household every day. Um, but it's just enough to um, burn off those little horns that get connected to everything. And then the last step is they put a coating on it, which is so thin, it allows the wool to still do its thing. All it really does is add... Um, a little bit of slipperiness to it, and actually the same coating, it's called Hercuset 125. Hercuset 125 is on every sheet of printer paper we've ever used in our household for, I don't know, 40 years, <laughs> and it basically when you think about it, when a, a sheet of paper gets pulled off the rollers, yeah, that Hercuset allows enough friction, or reduces friction enough to allow that to happen. You think about? Uh, you're, are you a MythBusters fan?
1: I, I am a MythBusters fan. Did you ever fan. watch
0: that episode where they took the two phone books and leaved them together? I don't think I did. Okay, well, like, eventually they're trying to separate them. Well, they oh do, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. I and do they remember. Ended up with, a like clip. two like tanks or something to separate them, like friction, and, and, and they like locked yeah. in. A hundred percent guarantee. Phone book paper does not have her cassette one twenty five on it. And even if it did, I'm not sure that would have worked. <laughs> but you know, that's like a raw paper that's untreated. Um, if you sp- spilled like a little drop of water, it would immediately absorb into it because it's, you know, it's it's hydrophilic. It likes water. Mm-hmm. So all uh, Hercasset 125, it's not a waterproofing agent or anything like that. All it does is is fill in a nano amount of the roughness of the fiber and make it a little bit, and when I say nano, I'm not exaggerating. It's nano. Yeah. Um, it just makes it a little bit smoother so the fibers can pass by each other a little bit easier, and that helps with the agitation that, during a normal wash cycle. Right. From there, it gets carted which is the process it's like a think like brushing a dog's hair that's run through the brush you know it aligns the fibers in a straight row um, gets them ready for uh, it gets turned into roving or, or wool top and then it gets sent off to a spinner from that point where you kind of order what size fiber you need for the spinning application that you're going to use
1: so at that point so you're uh, I just want to make sure I can uh, understand you're seeing after they've done this process they now have it in a semi uh, uh, manual, malleable setup to be able to turn it into the fibers that we need for clothing.
0: Yeah, wool top, which is kind of like, it, it, to put it in layman's terms, wool top would be the equivalent of buying ground beef. Yeah. Okay. It's. It's something anybody can turn in. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say anybody, yeah. <laughs> but you know, well, anyone in the knitting industry can take wool top, turn it into a, um, something from that point. So okay. wool top is what gets traded all over the country, right. or, or world really, right? And
1: that's at that point, that's when whatever you know, grip gripsticks takes it, and we say we need
0: what. So we we call a spinner um, here in the country, states or whatever, and they'll buy wool top from the uh, the, the company that makes it. You know. Um, and we'll specify we need that wool top separated and spun, and we give them like specific, uh, like we want this many twists per inch, mm. which has a big deal on the strength, but it's kind of like a, there's actually um, a double-edged sword with twist. The more twist you give it, the stronger it is, but it also is less soft. The oh. less twist, it's way soft, but it's not strong. So there's like a... There's like a fine line. For yeah, you that's very nail. delicate balance between... How,
1: so how long... How, how, how big of a process was that for you guys to figure out
0: so that's a good question um do we i mean i guess let me no.
1: ask this question do we want to go there now or do you want to come back well, I to can, it?
0: i'll give you the lame the yeah, quick answer yes, quick so question. fortunately we're not walking on the moon you know this isn't like we're not the first people do so you have done this right no there's a lot of people in the industry that are willing to share that information especially the people along the way you know that actually produce the fibers when you start talking about competitors you know like other sock knitters they might be a little bit more guarded about what they're doing um and there's there are certain like blends for example like uh and we can get into that in a second but like if you take the wool fiber that wool top and then you blend it a little bit with nylon or or poly or um, acrylic there's a, you can blend it with a, all sorts of things you know People, and that is what we do we do and there's two reasons you might do that do and we can go down that path real well, fast okay okay Let, let's do a loop, loop back to that one bring me that, back in
1: yeah i'm gonna take this no real fast and i'll, all right. I'll roll good so once you so we you've we've now specified what how we want the thread to be spun. Yep. Uh, and then it goes into coloring, or does it go to us?
0: It actually goes to the dye house. The dye house. Yep. Okay. The so dye that's... house is the last step before it gets to us. Cool. Wonderful stuff,
1: man. This is great. I, I truly love make. I'm also a curious person, and I really enjoy learning about some of this stuff. Because part of it, is, part for me, for me, you know, and for I think for some of the listeners, is that, you know, this is a story that comes from thing. And you said it at the very beginning. You mentioned that like for a lot of people, they go to a rural, the rural family, their wife's in you know, you're going to the in-laws house, and the sheep crosses the road because you're in rural rural America, and you're like, oh, that sheep, well, can't they just hurry it along? <laughs> But what we don't re- recognize is how much of that that's being used for different things. Like, those farmers are using the thing for products that we use on a daily basis. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, it's it's great to, for us to connect. And that's why it's important for us to share these stories, for people to recognize. Man, like, a lot of people that wor- live here in America touched this product. Yeah. Which is awesome to think about. Yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, you know what? Let, let's dive into then... Um, a little bit cuz being here um, learning a lot about socks learning a lot about the products we have here one of the things i think that like um, we have a lot on the, your specific video that people like like they love watching your video but they also like love hating on the video yeah it is. yeah which is a double <laughs> which is you know you, you know That's haters okay. make haters make us famous okay i don't care um but one of the things is talking about it not being 100% wool
0: yeah why shouldn't it be that's a great question. 100% wool. It's one of the things that every sock manufacturer probably just rolls their eyes a little bit when people say that. And it's it's not that it's not a... Maybe they've Cause said that, because they'll say it's... I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it's not 100% wool. But maybe. But they'll they'll um, get real passionate about the percentage of wool.
1: Yeah, right? that's a great way to put it. Yeah,
0: right. and, okay, so there's... First of all... The wool we use is 100% wool. Well... Not everything is 100%. Everyone can say that. <laughs> like... The wool we use is hundred percent wool. What else would it be? <laughs> like, it's yeah. a, so I'll tell you, like our recipes. Everyone does it a little bit different. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is is talk about any other manufacturer. First of all, any manufacturer that's making socks in the U.S. My hat goes off to them. Um, Darn Tough makes a great sock. Smart Wool still makes a great sock. Um, there's probably a half a dozen manufacturers like um, good quality sock mills in the country. And they all are doing a good job, and the fact that sock knitting is still a viable industry in this country, that's a great thing. It is a great thing. Do your homework someday in your own time, you, whoever else is watching this, about the beating that the American textile industry has taken over the last 30 years, Mm. 40 years. We'll probably do an episode on that eventually. I mean, it it hurts, and so the fact that they're still fighting the good fight, that's... my my hat goes off. And truthfully... We work with a lot, you know, we've had conversations with them. They're very friendly. And they're not cagey about what they're doing. You know, it's a close-knit, no yeah. pun intended, uh, close-knit group. So anyway, um, recipes. Those, yes. The, the example that I give people all the time is, okay, if I ever, you ever watch Chopped? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have like the basket. Yeah, everybody gets the same ingredients, but yet the end is very different. Right. That's no different from us to anyone else. You know, people always ask, why are your socks different? Uh, man, there could be ten different, maybe more answers, right? But so first things first, are we choose a a blend, and that's intentional. When you blend wool top and you're spinning your fiber, you can add other fabric, you know, other materials. Um, by nature, um, sheep. This remember I mentioned staple length. That's the length of the each, yeah, individual, each individual hair. Individual. Right? Mm-hmm. So we like to see staple length, you know, in the two and a half to three and a half range, give or take. That makes a stronger fiber. It's longer. But that's pretty good, you know, when you think about nylon, nylon is in its length is indefinite. It could yeah. be one strand could be 20 miles long. <laughs> um, so it's really strong, right? Um, other f- materials we're not a big fan of, polyester has some downside to it. Acrylic is one of the largest, Yeah, it, it it's like one of the biggest sources of microplastics. It's also pretty cheap. Um, I don't know that I'm a huge fan of acrylic, so we wouldn't blend with acrylic, but people do, and they yeah. have their reasoning for doing it, but I'll, our reasoning for doing it is strength. Uh, the Adding a little bit of nylon, and it's a small percentage, I think we're 90-10, mm-hmm. we use 90% wool, 10% nylon, that's really high. That's at the fiber, right? The actual yarn that's going into the side. Right. From that point on, we're diluting it, and for good reason. We don't ever dilute things for cheapness. <laughs> yeah. We do it intentional. right? right. So. Um, Our socks and all the major socks that you would probably buy from a wool manufacturer in the last 20 years use a type of construction called sandwich knit. Um, Basically, think of it like if you know anything about construction, you have rebar as the core and then they pour concrete Concrete around it. You never see the rebar, but it's there and it adds strength. Um, There's a relationship between the two things, right? Sock knitting is the same thing. We have kind of a an internal layer that's made out of, uh, it's primarily nylon, but it's got an elasticity component, you know, it's spandex or lycra or something, and um, it's air-tacked together, and it gives the the sock its initial elastic ability. Um, initial? I mean, there's look, actually, I've, I've been wearing the socks,
1: re- <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I have truly been blown away at the fact that, like, they just hold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think like our socks just hold yeah. and, and we've had conversations in the past and we'll get to it in a second, but the, and I think that's something that a lot of our customers have encountered that like, they're just great socks. And I think part of the greatness does come from this, this portion that you guys have worked on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Elasticity. People don't realize the science. If there was, um, and this is probably a bold statement, but... As someone who worked as a backpacking guide for a long time and, you know, you get pretty passionate about the socks that you like and don't like, <laughs> you start to realize, you know, let's back to the chopped, you know, if someone really likes garlic, they're going to put a lot of garlic in there. But if someone else doesn't, then you're like, man, that's a lot of garlic. Yeah. Me. So it's all personal preference. And, right. um, you know, Darn Tough has what they do because, I and mean, it's in the name, their socks are incredibly durable. Yeah. Um, there's some sacrifices there and I'm not... Uh, I'm not going to talk about them because I... Yeah, you know, we don't... Yeah. Yeah, but uh, bottom line is, you know, it's not... You can't go really hard in one direction without sacrificing in another. Right. And so when we sat down to make our socks, we chose a slightly different route because we feel like hugging the foot is tantamount to being a, a great quality sock.
1: What is... What was that decision like? How... how Like, where did you guys end up with that decision? And I, I guess w- what I'm ultimately asking is like, why did you go over function? That's really where you're going down to, right?
0: Uh, yeah, it's they, if they don't function first, it's a sock. There's a there's so many sock companies out there that are fashion. We don't need another one. There's, yeah, there's two thousand sock fashion first companies. You know, um, we we set out like number one. If you're using wool, you've already made the decision that you're function first. Yeah, because wool is is a phenomenal fiber in terms of wicking and moisture management and it's warm it's dry it's antimicrobial it has all it checks all the boxes um so many other materials like polyester it's cheaper um, it runs really nice and clean right but uh, if you've ever smelled a pair of polyester socks after a single day it is a It'll, <laughs> It'll knock your socks off. <laughs> yeah, it, it is horrible. Um, and it it's a property of wool. The way it wicks is different. So, I mean, everybody has their recipes, right? And so that's that's the biggest difference. And we're function first. And to be honest, you asked, when did we make that decision? I don't even think we talked about it. We knew as a our brand identity, we're all about function first. It has to look good at the end, but, um, you know, if it doesn't work well, we don't want to make it so it's
1: true that is part of it yeah. as i come to know all right this has been a great what is what okay where i want to go next is a little bit more on some of the some of the things that we that that go into our sock that people may not fully recognize yeah so um i think there's two routes that I, and i want I want uh, i want to see where you want to go so i think part of it goes down to our padding our terry which is taking what the technical term as i've learned um or the elasticity and a little bit more of the the like overall where the role is at with with that
0: truthfully you should talk about both um and yeah terry paddock you want to start first Ah, we'll we'll start with terry okay let's go there so first of all um you can have a half a like any major stock companies probably got 25 different Terry patterns that they employ, you know, in various places. And Terry, to give you an idea of the function of Terry, it's not just cozy and feels good and adds warmth. It also uh, reduces friction between you and whatever shoe we wear, right? Um, so it's, it's got a lot of benefits to it. But um, the biggest thing that probably separates us from, you know, especially some of the lower manufacturers, but certainly not like other ones, they do the same thing, um, is whether or not you use Terry in a, a contour um, application. The thing about the human anatomy is that none of us are square, you know, and weirdly, um, the base programs on these sock knitting machines, even they knit everything in squares, which is really weird. Uh, like, the toe is just like this perfect straight line where the terry ends if you just, you know, take the easy route and the foot bottom, you know, it's just this perfect flat line, you know, and then the heel is like this perfectly cupped thing and then it's gone. Yeah, you ever I, notice that? Like well, you get on Amazon, I, I did notice like-
1: this, but you know what? You, when we had our discussion for a video that I released recently on padding, uh, I went. You talked about this, so I went home and I looked at some of my socks. And I'm like, oh, there you go. Look at that. Yeah. So I want to say, like, if you're listening and you're at home, take a second, go look in your sock drawer, flip your sock in and out, and look at what's happening. You'll see yeah. if you if you if you have one of our socks, uh, and you compare it to one of your other socks because you're working your way through switching over grip six. look at those patterns, and you can find, especially if, if you rock in any of the other our socks, uh, you'll see that contour pattern yeah.
0: that we're talking about. Yep. I mean, obviously, toe and heel is kind of the— there's socks that don't have any, Terry, and, and actually a lot of women who are just, like, ultra-thin, you know. Right. You really don't have room if they're buying their shoes that tightly right. fit. But, you know, if you're talking about, Terry, like toe and heel, but even our toe and heel padding, our, our toe wraps around the entire toe box. Uh, we don't shortchange that at all, and the heel is a, a sculpted to go up higher. All all shoes, I don't care, even tennis shoes, come around the heel at the top. And um, as someone who's, again, worked on the trails for a long time, it's probably like the second most common area for a blister is right above oh, the, the heel, the, Yeah, right? That's because most... Um, you know budget socks the terry ends right where you need it to be and so uh, we carry our terry up but the bottom line is the difference between the terry that we put in versus the terry that the machines just kind of do if you go with the base program is a lot like the amount of intelligence that it took to get there for us um, we this is not a joke. I have a photo somewhere, and I'll try to find it if someone well, wants and if to you do, it, Maybe well, it's a video. If you find it, I'll, I'll throw it in the box. All right, sounds good, but we were doing, we were jumping. and At one point, I think BJ may have done a backflip off of a...
1: We didn't hear oh, all the yeah. bleep out this, what, what
0: the item. Into the pile of of reject socks that we, in the process of developing, we'd made so many socks mistakes That we could backflip into it that's a lot of socks it's a lot of socks and um so yeah whereas if we just would have you know started immediately with what what the machines were programmed to do we could have started much earlier but the in the midfoot it contours up where you need it to against you know for the arch padding and everything and it's just we looked at it from a different perspective we want this to be uncomfortable functional we'll take the the pain on the front end uh, to make sure we get it right to start with.
1: Okay, so I've had this this uh, this thing rolling in my head. Did you were you guys going for the best everyday sock, like the best all around sock?
0: Probably. Uh, there are some of us here that, that that answer is probably yes. In my opinion, there's a foundational element, right? If you're if you get all your other foundational principles in terms of the design of the sock and whatever, yeah. I think. The reason I'm reticent to answer that, yeah, is only because I think it kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, it does. Like if you just come up with a killer product, then it becomes everybody's favorite, Every everyday yeah. sock. So, you, you know. Anyways, no, I I I'm not saying
1: uh, what I'm saying is like I've gone. I've been. I'm now one of the people that yeah. like scour their sock drawer to get my gripstick socks because. I do notice the padding difference yeah. on a personal, like, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I wanted that.
0: Yeah. Until. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that fit that category. Exactly. I mean, the vast majority of the world wears cotton or poly sock. Right. And I'm not going to get into the weeds there. We no. can do that in our, we're going to do a yes. whole, yeah.
1: We're, we're going to get like real technical and we're going to do some really <laughs> if great. this
0: isn't technical enough for you. Yeah. We're, we, gonna... we're developing a a series we're going to call Wool School. Yep. Which we're, it's going to be nerding it up with, with Kevin. Yeah.
1: And we're going to have some really great, uh, we'll have additional diagrams and other stuff that goes into it. So, uh, be sure to subscribe if you're not already subscribed on YouTube. Yeah. All right, Kevin. So we, we've talked about the Terry. We've talked a little bit about that. Talk to me a little bit more about why some of the, the additional elasticity the elastic. and, um, yeah. when it comes to suck, because sure. I'm a, my personal preference is actually, I do tend to enjoy the socks that hug, hug more
0: yeah um and and where you want it
1: i've you know in my i didn't i didn't realize how much i didn't have it until a group six honestly i i always felt like when i had socks that had in there i i liked them on the heat in in where my arch was um and and when i put them on i'm like oh this feels good um and so I ended up choosing one sock brand because I enjoyed it and then I went from there. Um but it wasn't until I'd worn the first sock that I took home from, from work and put it on, realized how much on the third wear the difference was. Yeah. Cause I'd gone from that sock yeah. to another sock and went back to the to the group six sock and I was like, Oh, like this thing still holds its form, and I'm like and it's I'm like it's hugging exactly the way I want it to be.
0: Yeah. Which so is the, mind blowing. Yeah, these your question earlier about percentages, right? Yeah. So now, we are going further down where where an, um, a less educated wool sock buyer would be like, oh, that's only thirty seven percent wool, hmm. you know, and then they're going to compare it to something else that says it's seventy percent wool. Yeah, there are reasons that's not good. Like 70% means you don't have enough elastic. You don't have that hug that you need. So you might have, it might work for, you know, an hour or two and then it's gonna be baggy and useless and a blister prone sock, right? Because it's rubbing. Exactly. So right. you actually want other, and, and like a big long boot sock with a lot of wool is gonna have a higher, because it's just a percentage game. A right. little ankle is gonna have less. Right. Um, anyway, so when it comes to elastic, um, this is a born of, uh, For me specifically, because I've not not only was I uh, an outdoor guide for a while. um, I work in Utah. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Let's let's set the record straight, Kevin. You're if you've ever watched the show Psych. uh, I haven't. uh, Sean is always commenting on how he was uh, X thing during one summer. And I feel like you're the exact same thing. You every single day. I find that you have so when when I was working as a construction worker, when I worked in the sh- when I was working as a chef in this restaurant. All right, okay, <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll give you the, uh, I'll give you the quick. So I worked in the outdoor industry specifically for I don't know a total of fifteen or twenty years. Skiing time. And when I was younger, I worked in Utah, obviously ski industry, right? When I was younger, they wouldn't give jobs to, for the summer. For the
1: summer. That's right.
0: So you're right. So I would go find odd jobs, including construction, including uh, backpacking and climbing. There is
1: nothing wrong with that. Look, I had no. seven jobs in one year at one point <laughs> because I had internships and I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I think
0: there's an, an In Living Color skit about this right here. Um, anyway, so yeah, I uh, my personal preference on Elastic is born of, of hour, literally hours of repairing people's feet on the trail with anything from duct tape, which works surprisingly well or moleskin or whatever yeah, yeah. from socks that are that are terrible it's also that were too loose yeah for a variety of reasons right uh, not enough uh, padding in the right places it's way too baggy and the other thing about backpacking is that we did like 50 milers you know so you're you're out for a week at a time nobody wants to carry five pairs of socks
1: right so you're wearing so multiple you're, socks yeah and the, if they get baggy
0: at, yeah if they get baggy after 10 miles a day then you're putting a baggy sock back on because it didn't rebound in the evening, you know, when you weren't wearing it, and it just gets successively worse over time. And you know that it's situations like that where I'm like, okay, I know. And then from the ski industry, I, I ran a, a chain of retail ski shops. I was the CEO uh, for quite a while, um, 10, 12 years. And anyway, uh, I sold an, an unholy amount of socks during that period and fit a lot of people. And I also like, people would come back from a day of skiing and. My feet are these boots are terrible. It wasn't the boots at all. It was their socks. You know, they're when they're spending a hundred and thirty dollars a day to, to ski, they don't want to pony up another twenty bucks or twenty five bucks for a good pair of socks. But a good pair of socks makes or break it. Makes or breaks a day of skiing. So I learned a ton about socks. Elastic is crucial in in a few areas. Arch support has to have it. Um, it's. Your foot kind of goes through this. Um, remember the square thing I was telling yep. you about. If you just treat it like a square, then you're going to end up with um, one spot that's perfect, one spot that's too narrow, and one spot that's too tight. Right. Our feet are wider in the toe, you know, narrower in the heel. Um, that's called graduated elastic. Like if you're good enough, which we are, but it took a while. You don't just treat everything like this zone that does not move or change. You know, it ours tapers.
1: And it's not. It's it and it's really hard to make sure to keep consistency.
0: Yes. Yeah, right well, yep. I,
1: I think we will talk about that. I don't know if that will fully get to that in this episode We have uh, we'll have another episode on that But like as I've started to see and observe I make sure so I understand Okay, what are some of the things I need to highlight when it comes to like hero shots for yeah for, for, for sure. video? That's one of the things I've noticed is the fact how much we have to check and we're checking and rechecking our socks constantly
0: yeah. Right. I mean, it's, every machine's got a little bit of a it's a mind of its own so <laughs> the recipe even from machine to machine can't just be you know uniformly applied you got to make little tweaks yeah and then there's there's tools we use to check it but um yeah within the arch that's number one um right after that uh, we our proprietary quote unquote name for it is called heel trap elastic um heel trap means that it there's like a positive lock over the heel cap. Okay, yeah. When you pull the sock on, it should feel like you pulled on a pair of shoes. You know, this gun. Hey, it's on, right? It shouldn't be like, I can't tell. Yeah. Like back in the day, you know, I'm I'm 46. You know, I grew up wearing tube socks. <laughs> tube socks are exactly what I was talking about with being square. There's no anatomical definition whatsoever. Yeah. The machines are so um, advanced today that we can shape. We can body map the sock to fit, you know, the certain... Uh, thicknesses of the foot goes through as it travels up so uh, the heel trap is, is very kind of aggressively down by the heel it allows for that to s- snug right around the heel right where the achilles and keep that next to the skin as much as possible because that bunching in that area is the number one cause of blisters mm. so you need it to be nice and flat and uniform and that's where the elastic comes into play and then if it's a taller sock um Calf elastic is another big part. And our calf elastic, probably different than most people that you'll see. It always makes me chuckle. (laughs) And I don't have any, you'd have to ask the people who make these socks. But if you ever just like look at socks uh, on the shelf, right, you'll go to Cabela's or REI or something. And the tightest, most constricted spot on a crew sock is the top of the sock where the calf is the biggest. Yeah. And maybe the logic is like, oh, it needs to hold itself up. Right. That's, in my opinion, the wrong way to go about that. Because the, the calf leading up to that spot is fairly baggy, and then you're putting this constriction right around the calf, which that's going to work its way down. And, and it, that's when you get like these... The lines. Well, not only the lines, but you you end up looking like you're wearing the leg warmers they used to wear in the 80s, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> like it wasn't that hang at, at the bottom. Like, really <laughs> poochy, big thing. <laughs> By, by what we do, we do a graduated elastic that's constantly like kind of a funnel. It's getting larger as it goes up. Mm. That means it's hugging the leg all the way up. And because it's hugging, it doesn't let it slide down because it's actually mapped to your calf. So we get a lot of compliments about that all the time that we don't leave massive lines, but yet the sock still stays up. That's awesome. That's a product of, of graduated elastic. Super cool. All right. Really great stuff here.
1: Um where where do I want to go? Uh, you know what I want to go. I want to talk to you a little bit uh, personally on like what was it like um, in the designing process? How much of it was for you a, a, a like not only a labor love because I'm sure it was. You're you're a person that when you when you've committed to to do something, you're always doing. You're always going 110. percent So for you. Talk to me, talk to me some of the, like the moments of you know like joy and frustrations. Maybe the in the sense of like the like thinking you got it and then having to go back and be like, dang it, uh, things like that. I don't know. I think those are the moments that I think I want to know talk about a little bit as we wrap sure. for this, this episode. Yeah.
0: Failure is just a it's just a data point. Yeah, you know, like I'm always I have two two boys. I'm always telling my kids, um, you know, how many times did it take for. Uh, Edison it was Edison yeah right? to develop mm-hmm. the light bulb right yeah I don't know I just forgot that but yeah it's Edison <laughs> it. and they're like I don't know I'm like you know a lot uh, what, what his famous quote was I didn't fail I just learned you know x amount of times how not to build a light bulb um, it is it's just a data point I, there were times I don't know that I was ever just like dang it you know um, right we were we weren't under the gun so much to get one out at a certain time frame, I think people really make sacrifices when they put an artificial deadline on something. Right. Um, we were just in true R and D mode, which is it's actually quite liberating. Uh, my personality is is kind of perfect for that because I well, I'll give you an example. Um, we sent an employee, and he did a great job. Um, Cassidy Kai is good good dude. Um, We sent him to a university where they teach this textile knitting, but one of the downsides, well, to this university and to all universities, in my (laughs) personal opinion, is that they taught um, something that was very rigid. You know, like Mm. you know, like back to the square. The machines actually do run faster and better when you design everything like a square, because big shocker, that's the way the machines are designed. Right. So he came back, and um, you know, he was new to it too. So. You know, we didn't know what was gospel and what was right. movable, and he's like... This is what they said. Yeah, yeah. These are the 10 rules of sock making that you can't break. And my uh, my mind immediately is like, well, let's, let's get to breaking them. You know, <laughs> be, that's my personality. Because um, even as a kid, which got me into trouble a lot, of course, as you can imagine, um, I wanted to know where the boundaries actually were um, mm. so that we knew... Not because I like to break things.
1: But to know where you can go.
0: Right, exactly. Like yeah. you need to know what the thresholds are. Or is it just that way because someone said that's the way it's you're supposed to do it.
1: Or because people are like, look, this is you know, you're looking at it at one perspective of like efficiency, you know, yeah. or you know. Right. But when you're trying to tell a story or you know, trying to do create a product, tell a story or do whatever, um, there's always that that perspective venue and if you're looking at one perspective you never look at like well why are those there because you have a different perspective and those the the boundaries those outliers will help you be that be in the spot where you want to be then it's like you got to know those yeah which i think is great i I, i'm back i back you up on that
0: like uh the 1812 overture you know yeah uh i'm drawing a blank as to who did that i've seen it uh, maybe five times. But I'm sure the fr- the guy... I Ty- Tchaikovsky? Yeah, I, won't I, think so. I think so. I'm sure there's a commenter that's going to tell me I'm Don't wrong. not worry. And that's okay. Thank I'm you. all right being wrong. What I was going to say, though, is... You know, there's cannons in this thing. Uh If you've ever seen it live outside... I did. It's so, mind-blowing.
1: So, actually... Well, so I did see it live in Boston. I went to Boston last last... Uh, I told my girls... I uh, two girls and my wife. We went to Boston to go see for the 4th of July. And normally... They do that that for the end of their pops and pops concert, yeah. and then they launch cannons, yeah. like legit cannons, when they do it. But it was re- it was rainy and foggy that, that oh, this Fourth of dude. I was so mad, <laughs> and and so they're like, we had we couldn't do the cannons this year because it was it was foggy. <laughs> and then they finished, and no fireworks went off. And everyone was like standing around, like wondering Waiting what was happening. The- and they started firing, but they were all like in the middle of the charnel. Like they moved it off so that it wasn't super because uh, of the way the fog had rolled in. Look, when I tell you I was upset, but then I had I hear a Bostonian. He's like, "How they do this to us? We've been coming here for fifty years."
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, like <laughs> anyways. And but so that never would have happened unless someone's sitting there and they're they're writing this this amazing piece of music and they're like, "What instrument?" could I use here? And there's not one on the approved list. Yeah. So I was like, that's it, I'm using a cannon. That's right.
1: He's like, whatever.
0: That's what we had to find. Yeah. Like, where are the cannons that we don't know about, right? So we dug into that. I, I don't know that there was actually 10. There might have been 12 or 15. I'm not sure. What I do know is, after testing every single one of them, there was maybe two that were real. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were just like, maybe best practices, but they had no no real reason for being a rule at all. Um, and and other than to make square socks. Mm-hmm. So, that was actually quite liberating and it was it was educational for us and Cassidy too. Um that's when we really started to open the door. The, the machine that we did break actually kind of an interesting story. Yeah, let's get let's We like get, we killed it. I mean like <laughs> you, these are like destroyed it? Oh, I mean not destroy, it was, <laughs> it These just, are it like $40,000 sock knitting machines <laughs> and it was in pieces, you know.
1: Was it just cuz you could, like for making the sock or cuz you guys were trying to like We were testing it.
0: Yeah, we were like, you know, we were pushing it you know like like 88 miles an hour you know back to the future we weren't sure what was going to happen you know so anyway yeah it kind of exploded uh, sort of and then the funny thing was is you know we're engineers here we have a lot of really talented people who work here and we do so we called there's only like one or two people in the whole country that service these machines and they're booked out a ways and we didn't want the machine to be down so we called them up and said hey can we get you in here and He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm booked out for three weeks, you know, something like that. Uh, I can be there at this time. And BJ's like, yeah, we're not waiting, you know. <laughs> so he was really pretty passionate. He's like, please don't get into it. You'll screw things up, you know, and BJ took that as a challenge. I think we had it up and running and making socks in like 48 hours. Nice. Yeah, and when we came, he came back, um, he did show up three weeks later. And we heard him on the phone talking to his boss or someone else. I don't know, but he's like, "These guys are crazy. You know? <laughs> like, they're, they're doing things with machines that I've not seen mills that have been around for forty years doing." You know, we were interested in finding where the limit was, and we found it. You know, and we back we're obviously backed off a little ways from there. But yeah, it, it really allowed us to get innovative. Um, and you really unlock the potential of the machines.
1: Mm. Kevin, is there, what, what are some final thoughts that you have for listeners that you would like them to know about the sock that we haven't touched on?
0: About our socks? Yeah. Well, um, I'll say this much. Um, wool sourced in the United States. People always ask us what makes our sock different. And the truth of it is, um, most really good socks in this country are made by the same machine type, um. The brand is called Lenati. They're Italian. Um, they're phenomenal. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. They're Yeah. They're like Ferraris, right? They're like, they're mesmerizing. I mean, yeah. I, I've tried it. I've I don't to... want to think of the amount of effort it took to. And they they have like no joke. We were looking at it on their website the other day. They have like 100 models too. I don't even know. A how... hundred? Yeah. It's a <laughs> psychotic would... number of models. <laughs> Why would they need that many? Some poor guy is in an office just like cataloging parts for the rest of his life because they're Each machine is like thousands of parts, you know. And anyway, um, what really separates the Grip6 sock from everybody else is where our wool comes from. Um, It is a very rare... uh, the Rambouillet. So, well, not just Rambouillet, because a lot of people are using Rambouillet. They're, they're calling it here's... Marino because they don't <laughs> think you're smart enough to pronounce Rambouillet. Which Ramboulé. could be true. I don't know. Uh, you shouldn't. If you listen to this podcast, you now know how. But our wool comes from the U.S. From the U.S. That's a rare thing. To give you an example, like I think in 1950, there were 50 million wool sheep in this country.
1: 50 million. 50 okay. 50 million. And this is when? 1950.
0: 1950. What do we got now? easy to remember. 1950. 50. 50 million. What do you think we have now?
1: Less than a hundred.
0: Sorry, less than ten. Less than a hundred sheep. Le- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these socks would be worth listen, a lot. Listen,
1: uh, my math brain isn't working right now. Apparently, no.
0: Less than a hundred million. Less than ten million. It is less than ten. Is five.
1: it? Oh, I was going to say six. We have five. Five, strictly five million. Yeah, we've lost
0: forty-five million. And how many of them are in in, in Utah? Utah is um, in the top five or four or even three, depending on which report you read. Yeah of the uh wool producing states in the country we um our climate is good we have um sheep need um winter and summer grazing utah has a lot of elevation change you know so uh, we have lots of uh, winter grazing down low and and summer grazing up high so it's a great place for sheep here and um our sheep are welcome yeah yeah. (laughs) yep can we put that on a shirt but it's uh even the ones that are making them here there's a there's one other company that we're aware of that does a really good job that makes out of uh local wool and i think for military um, products i think they're required to use american wool hmm. um, but most domestic products they might be made in the u.s but they're not using american wool so um it, it's really you're supporting local ranchers local uh sheep farmers look we said this at the beginning
1: right at the end of the day this is a story. Yeah. And the socks, from our belts to our wallets to our socks, we we want that to be focused on the fact that we do things here in America by people who that might be your neighbor, who has a ranch, you know, that it goes and takes care of those, sh- you know, on the weekends or is in a factory like ours working on machines trying to get the right uh, percentage uh, of uh, knits for the padding. Um, that's what you know. That's what it is, and I, and I think that's that's awesome.
0: It's really rewarding for me uh, to be because it's very few products that I've been affiliated with. Do I get to meet and talk to the entire supply chain? That's a really great point. Um, I think we should we should really get somebody from
1: the one of the our uh, sheep farms. Yeah come on the pod. Cool. yeah anyways well kevin thank you so much for coming on you will be on i'm sure at some other point i will be on at some other point um if you liked this episode be sure to leave a review it does help us get discovered and share with those who are your friends or you want somebody to also nerd out with us as we that we talked about socks In the works is where we celebrate ingenuity, resilience, and craftsmanship through interviews with people behind Grip6, like Kevin, entrepreneurs, and other American-based businesses. On this show, you'll learn about the importance, successes, and challenges of American manufacturing while also getting a peek behind the curtain at Grip6. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, be sure to leave a comment or send us a voice message on uh, Spotify podcasts, uh, and to remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys in the next one.